0: You are listening to episode 22 of Dave's Daredevil Podcast, in which the Golden Age Daredevil takes center stage and shows us the evolution behind Matt Murdock's creation. Oh, and Dave's not here, man.
1: Welcome to Dave's Daredevil podcast. I'm not Dave. My name is Blaine Daller. I'm a fellow podcaster and one of, but not the first person to email Dave when he started running these series. As part of that first email, I volunteered to fill in for him, should he have weeks that were tight and busy with editing and stuff. And he's decided to take me up on that offer. So when I do these, I am going to deliberately try to avoid topics that Dave himself wants to talk about because. I mean, it's his podcast. He gets first choice. So this week, we're going to be looking at the Golden Age Daredevil. Dave has already covered the first appearance of Matt Murdock from 1964. Matt Murdock was not the first comic book character to be named Daredevil. The first one was a character named Bart Hill, and he appeared during the Golden Age of comics, which most people pegged from the 1930s into the you know, late 40s and early to mid 50s. People will pick different transition dates for starting the Silver Age. Most seem to pick Showcase number 4, which introduced the Barry Allen Flash. Some would argue that it properly starts with the introduction of Martian Manhunter. That all comes later. For this one, we are going back to 1940, and it was a very different time for comics. The Comics Code Authority didn't exist yet. We'll be hearing about the Comics Code Authority again in another podcast. Comics at the time were typically 64 pages long, and that's with 64 pages of story. Ad space was on the inside covers, and maybe on the back cover. The cover price was typically 10 cents US, and they were made up of various stories in anthology formats, often featuring different creative teams on different characters. And a lot of these creative teams sort of had their own houses, so the comic publishers at the time were really just publishers and distributors, so they weren't looking to create the content. They would buy the content on a contract basis from other production studios. So Siegel and Schuster had their studio putting out Superman stories. And Bob Kane had his studios putting out Batman stories. And National Comics at the time would buy both and put them both into, you know, their detective, their action, or put the pair of them into World's Finest Comics. But because they were produced independently by creators who weren't really talking to each other, they didn't have a lot of crossover. So even though Superman and Batman had stories inside the covers of World's Finest Comics for years, the characters rarely interacted with each other. The closest we came at the time was the Justice Society of America titles. But that was more of a marketing showcase, and what happened there didn't show up anywhere else. So that was a case of national and all-American comics deciding to showcase their major characters, by putting them all in one book. And the agreement that the companies had when they were doing this is that as soon as a character grew big enough to have their own title, they didn't need the extra marketing boost, and they were off the JSA. Which is why in the first appearance of the JSA, Superman and Batman are referred to as having been former members, because they both had their own titles. This is why the Alan Scott Green Lantern was only in the first three issues, because after that he got his own title, so they pulled him out of the JSA. It really was a marketing machine, and when you read the Batman and Superman and Green Lantern stories when they were past members or stories of other characters when they were current members, their membership in the JSA was rarely referred to, if ever. So the first proper Superman and Batman team-up wasn't going to be until the early 1940s on the Superman radio show. They didn't work together in the comics until, I believe it was Superman issue 71 in the 50s. That sort of character cooperation was a long ways off because the characters were owned and put together by different production companies. So they had very little interaction. One of the comic companies that was out there at the time was a company called Love Gleason Publications. And they were doing things a little bit differently, which is why we had that little history lesson that's going to be relevant in the not too distant future. One of the titles they were running was Silver Street Comics. And one of the first things that strikes me about Silver Street Comics is that the title character doesn't appear for the first time until issue number three. So it is an anthology title, but Silver Streak doesn't show up in the anthologies until the third issue. This features characters that were created by a lot of the classics, including Jack Cole, who's probably best known today for creating Plastic Man, but he had characters in this, including Dickie Dean, Boy Inventor, and others. The Silver Streak comics also had a series that was about the villain named The Green Claw, and we'll come back to the idea of having a headlining villain when we talk about the Comics Code Authority in a future podcast. It had a Tarzan knockoff named Lance Hale. It had a pilot named Sky Wolf, another pilot named Cloud Curtis, and several others. And starting with issue number six, cover dated September 1940, it had a character named Daredevil. Now the creative team behind this Daredevil was writer Don Rico, who wrote this under the pseudonym Captain Cook. And he was telling it as though it's a first-person perspective story of someone who actually met this Daredevil. Now, he wrote for companies and characters that didn't survive, at least through the 50s, when Frederick Wortham came out. see again the future podcast about the Comics Code Authority. Daredevil's co-creator was artist Jack Binder, who also worked primarily on characters for companies that didn't survive. So much of his work has sort of been forgotten in some sense. It's easy to track down. He was prolific. He was talented but most people don't go back to those 40s comics unless they're going back to characters that have survived until today. So if you're going to find about one of the benders, it's probably Jack's younger brother Otto, who wrote for the Billy Batson, Captain Marvel, Batman, Superman, and many, many others, and wrote them well, which is probably why he's remembered more often these days, and was inducted into the Comic Book Hall of Fame in 2004. But in this first appearance, the Golden Age Daredevil was dressed in a two-tone costume with bilateral symmetry, so he split vertically down the middle. The costume was covering all of him except his eyes at this stage. So his right side was predominantly covered in yellow, although he did a blue trunks doing the underwear on the outside thing that Superman and Batman at least used to do. His left side was predominantly blue, but with yellow trunks. He had a double D logo on his stomach that was sported in reverse colors, and he had a white belt sporting red spikes. This issue tells his origin story, which features a key ingredient in superhero origins, childhood trauma. So Bart Hill's father was an inventor, and some petty thugs broke into their home to steal one of the man's inventions. Bart watched them murder his parents, and the thugs not only kept him alive, but they burned a scar into his chest, and the scar was coincidentally shaped like a boomerang. So this trauma caused him to do a lot more than just decide all criminals are a cowardly and superstitious lot, and he'd name himself after the first creature that flew in through the window. Instead, he went mute and spent the next several years training with a boomerang to an incredible degree of skill, and also training the rest of his body to the class of a world-class gymnast. And he set out to be a one-man crusade against crime in terms of vigilante justice, so like Batman, whose origin had appeared a few months before this, he wanted to make sure that no child had to go through what he went through. Now apparently, this was a very therapeutic process for him, because when he appeared for the second time in Silver Street Comics number 7, he was fully able to speak, and the fact that he was formerly mute was basically swept under the carpet and not mentioned again. And this comic also started breaking other molds that were common at the time. Not only did it have an immediate costume redesign, replacing all the yellow with red, sound familiar, and removing the double D logo, but they also took the formerly red and white spiked belt and swapped that to yellow, and changed his trunks to a monochromatic blue all across. One of the more impressive innovations they did was introduce a female character as his girlfriend, namely Tanya Saunders, who is with him when they get attacked by the story's villain, who we'll get to in a moment. And as soon as the attack starts, Bart says, You wait here. I just remembered. I've got things to do. Takes off, changes into the Daredevil costume, and he goes running out across the field. Well, his girlfriend sees Bart take off in the middle of danger, saying, You wait here. I've got things to do. I suddenly remembered sees someone the same height and build as her boyfriend in the Daredevil costume running through the field, hears and recognizes his voice, and immediately puts together that Bart Hill is Daredevil, which means she is not the most galactically stupid woman who ever lived, and is probably the first comic book superhero love interest who wasn't a complete idiot. And even more impressively for the time, this was a 16-page story when most of them were 8, possibly 12, who was usually on the high side. Why? because they combined two different strips. So the Green Claw was created by Jack Cole, while Daredevil, as we said, was created by Rico and Binder. But for this second story with Daredevil, they combined the two, and the houses worked together. So the villain that was attacking them was the Green Claw, who normally had his own strip. So instead of having two eight-page strips, they had a single 16-page story featuring Bart Hill. And in the second appearance, he's very much a fast-talking, swashbuckling hero. So it's a lot of the personality that we see from Matt Murdock in the 60s that people would frequently compare to Spider-Man. Here, it's not so much a Spider-Man thing. That style of being sarcastic in the middle of battle had already been established, and the Golden Age Daredevil was one of them. So these Daredevil strips would continue to run in Silver Street Comics through the rest of its 23-issue run. But Daredevil survived beyond that, because in July 1941, or at least covered it in July 1941, he got his own series, Daredevil Comics, starting with issue number one. And there's no issue number on the first one, it was just, Daredevil Battles Hitler, and that's the cover. It kept the redesigned costume, kept the wisecracking attitude, and features Daredevil prominently going through right from the start. In the first story, which is about half the issue, so we're looking at about the first 30 pages or so, Daredevil breaks into a Nazi stronghold by mugging one of the guards and dressing in his costume, speaking fluent German, manages to get into... The inner quarters with Hitler, Goebbels, and a bunch of the other major Nazi agents and major Nazi organizers, and starts to take them on, giving Hitler a good punch in the stomach before the guards raise the alarm and drive him out. On his way out, he starts encountering the other characters that show up in this. So he meets the Silver Streak, he meets the Skyhawk, he meets Lance Hale, he meets Dickie Dean Boy Inventor, Cloud Curtis, the Pirate Prince. There's even a story with the Green Claw, who, as we said, was a villain. He initially teams up with Hitler only to betray him, because even the villains hate that guy, and Daredevil's in the mix to fight that off. And it's not even a series of strips where he guest stars. There is a continuity from story to story, so the status quo for Daredevil at the end of one story is where the next one picks up. So he's moving from strip to strip, which is very unusual for the day, especially given the number of creators and art houses that he had to work through to do that. So it shows a lot of coordination on the part of editorial. That's how they kick off the first issue. The second issue goes back to the more traditional style. So you've got your cover numbering. You've got your Daredevil comics. You've got 12 stories in a 64-page book. So these are all eight pages or shorter. You've got your classic prose piece mixed in with them. In the case of Daredevil comics number two, it is starring Daredevil, and he's talking about why defense is important and why we should support the war effort, and would keep going in this fashion. So Daredevil would headline in Daredevil's comics for 80 issues. Daredevil Comics would continue for 132 issues, but the title character wasn't present in the last 52 issues of the series. So the Lev Gleason Company would eventually fold, and its ability to defend its intellectual property went down with it. Martin Goodman, who was the publisher of Marvel, and before that had been the publisher of both Atlas and Timely, incarnations of the same company, brought in his chief editor or editor-in-chief Stan Lee, and put out a directive that Marvel needed to put out its own character using the Daredevil name while it was up for grabs, so that they'd be able to defend it. This is the same as they would later do with Captain Marvel, with the Black Widow, and with a number of other characters. So they needed a character with this name, and they needed it fast. Now, Bill Everett was one of Stan's friends, because Stan had started with the company. His first published work was Captain America Comics number three right around the time Daredevil first premiered. Bill Everett had been there sooner than that. He'd co-created Namor the Submariner in uh, Marvel Comics Presents number 1 from 1939. So Everett and Stan Lee were friends, but Everett had gotten out of comics and had a full-time job elsewhere. He and his wife also had some struggles with alcohol, which may be why their daughter was born legally blind. When Stan got this mandate to put out a Daredevil comic in a hurry, and his existing team of artists were far too swamped with their projects to add another one to the mix, Stan called up his old friend Bill Everett to try and bring him back to the comics industry and help him get this new character together using the Golden Age Daredevil as the basis. Now, Everett was familiar with the Golden Age Daredevil, because he'd been running at the time, so he remembered that Daredevil originally started with a handicap, and he suggested retaining that handicap from the original Daredevil's first appearance. And instead of having a mute hero, they went with a blind hero. So that was inspired by Everett's daughter, and Stan went along with it because he was quite happy to not write a character who was mute and who had something to make him stand out so he didn't just get lost in the mix. So Everett was hired to do the art of that first issue, but between his day job that he didn't want to give up and falling off the wagon, he was unable to deliver the issue in time. But to meet Goodman's mandate and make sure that they got that book on the stands before anyone else could claim the trademarks, they were forced to corral the entire bullpen and put something together very quickly, which is why you have such a wide and varied team of artists with Jack Kirby doing the initial design and the splash page, with others pulling in to do the other characters, and other people coming in to do backgrounds. It is a bit of a mishmash of art in that first issue. And some of that is because of the length. This wasn't an 8 or 13 page story like a lot of them were. When they launched Thor and Ant-Man and Iron Man and Doctor Strange, they were launched sharing books. So for the most part, they were 13 pages or less. In order to grab that Daredevil trademark they needed to have Daredevil as the title of the book, which could very well be why Daredevil got a solo launch when everyone else was in shared books. I assume it's a lot of the same legal wrangling that caused DC to be unable to put Captain Marvel as the title of the book when they bought the Fawcett publications into property. So there, Captain Marvel, that was Billy Batson, couldn't be called Captain Marvel on the cover, although they could refer to him as Captain Marvel within the pages. I suspect this was similar, Were to really grab that Daredevil trademark they had to have Daredevil's name on the cover. And that's the chain that leads us to the Matt Murdock Daredevil that we all know, and if you listen to this podcast, presumably love. That doesn't mean Bart Hill has been completely forgotten. He's got a bilateral costume, and it inspired the Mutant X version of Daredevil in that series. He's also been reused, after being renamed in a few different ways, by AC Comics, First Publications, Image Comics, Wildcat Books, and Dynamite Entertainment. The Dynamite Entertainment version is probably the most prominent in their Project Superpower series, largely because of the Alex Ross art. There, he's been renamed the Death-Defying Devil. Now, if you want to read some of these original adventures, you can do so. Some of them have been reprinted by Dark Horse in their two Silver Streak Archives volumes, and many of these early issues are available for free from www.digitalcomicmuseum.com which is very much like Project Gutenberg for comics and is deserving of our support. You do have to create a free account to do the downloads, but you're know you welcome and encouraged to do so. They've got a pile of these old issues. I think for the Silver Street comics, for example, issue 21 is the only one that they're missing, and they do seem to have most, if not all, of the Golden Age Daredevil. At least at the time of this recording, they're constantly reaching out to add new stuff. So this is pretty innovative, and it does go in directions that you wouldn't expect these days. A lot of people assume that old comics are simplistic or juvenile. There was a period when that was true, but it's not because they were old. It's because the Comics Code Authority had so much power. You go back to Daredevil Comics number two, end up bringing a woman back to life. They bring her back as a mummy as she was buried. So this woman is essentially topless with some well-placed hair to cover things up. That's not something that they could get away with in the 50s. They were able to do it in the 40s, though, because the Comics Code Authority wasn't there. So there's a lot that's worth going back to read and see what comics were like. And the Lev Gleason Company seems to have pushed a lot of the boundaries in creating the shared universes that we take for granted today. Definitely worth checking out. And that's pretty much everything I have to say about the Golden Age Daredevil. If you'd like to listen to some of the other stuff I do, you can search for my name, Blaine Dowler, B-L-A-I-N-E, D-O-W-L-E-R through iTunes, or head over to Bureau42.com. I've got a number of titles out there. The ones that are probably of most interest in people listening to this would be the Comic Book Physics podcast, where I go through physics and how it's represented in comic books, or the Big Screen Batman series that's running now that grew out of the Silver Screen Superman from last year and will become Silver Screen Superheroes next year, which is released every month on the 14th, going through some big screen incarnation of a superhero. And believe me, Daredevil is one of the first in the queue for 2015. So with that, I will pass it back to Dave.
2: of the Super Friends so that I may destroy
0: them. Aquaman and Superman Animal Man and Plastic Man Firestorm and Nuclear Man Batman and Hawkman 2D Man and Hour Man Who
2: are all these people, man? They're all part of the DC Who's who?
1: Ultra Boy and Booster Gold Lightning, Lass and Hippolyta Phantom, Stranger, Hitchcock and Arisia and Woody Weeks Hey, hey, hey. What? What about that one guy? What guy? Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mr. Mitzelfuzzle,
0: Mr. Mitzi's Pitlick, yeah, him. He's also part of the DC Who's Who. Who's Who: The definitive podcast of the DC Universe. Available monthly at Aquaman Shrine, Firestorm Fan, and on iTunes and Stitcher as part of the Fire and Water podcast. <laughs> Hey everyone dave here and that was the trailer for who's who the definitive podcast of the dc universe which you should already be listening to but if you're not make it so i'm here to pretty much wrap up episode 22 of dave's daredevil podcast i definitely want to thank blaine for dropping an awesome episode i've been kind of sidelined with a sinus infection this week so recording was out of the question Luckily, as Blaine said, he's stepped up, and he has a couple of episodes, actually. Blaine will actually be back next week to talk about the Stuntmaster, and then I will be back with episode 24 to kind of get things back on track, uh, pick up where we left off, with a tale about Daredevil meeting the Mauler. And of course, your long overdue emails. And don't forget after that, episode 25, which features the first appearance of some chick that Matt used to know in college. Maybe you've heard of her. But while I get my voice recuperated, you can of course find Blaine and his multiple shows over at Bureau42.com. Also, check out Hey Kids Comics over at the Two True Freaks Network as they celebrate Daredevil's 50th anniversary on a pair of episodes that are Dave-approved for Daredevil Awesomeness. Again, I'll be back with episode 24 and Blaine will be returning next week. Until then, remember that even in the Golden Age, justice may be blind, but it can see in the dark.
2: He is the one, that call a man that fear. Never far away, whenever is near. devil fight for what is right. Daredevil, fight for you tonight.
0: You have been listening to Dave's Daredevil Podcast, which can be found at daredevilpodcast.com. The show can be subscribed to via the RSS link, iTunes, and other podcatchers, or streaming on the Stitcher app, giving you instant access to a wide range of audio programs. Email for the show can be submitted through the contact form on the website or directly with the address dave at daredevilpodcast.com. The show is all over social media. On Facebook, you can find it by searching Dave's Daredevil Podcast, on Twitter with the username at Dave Weeder, and on Tumblr at daredevilpodcast.tumblr.com. Daredevil and related characters are copyright Marvel comics, and any sound clips or music are for entertainment purposes only. This podcast does not make any money on these elements and is simply made for entertainment. All copyrights lie with the copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. I am Dave, and thank you for listening to Dave's Daredevil Podcast. Human
2: His game Dream of Gold Friday When you hear his name Hair devil fight for-